Hey guys, welcome to another exciting episode of the Legex Show, where we get in touch with amazing people that we find interesting, get them to discuss about their journeys, about their vision for their startups, their uh, professional journeys, and give you the insight that can help you make amazing, beautiful decisions. So today with us we have Mr. Kehraman Jigit, who is the co-founder and CEO of the co-living branch of the Embassy Group. So I think you know we should not delay it much further. So welcome, Mr. Kehraman. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show today. Uh, really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it was great, you know, having some little bit conversations with you over the time. So, uh, Mr. Kehman, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure, sure. Um, my name is Kehman Yigit. Uh, I'm a real estate entrepreneur, uh, originally from Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, I moved to India in 2019. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of. Our co-living and student housing brands, Olive uh, by Embassy, and Olive is the student housing and co-living brand uh, for the group. Uh, and uh, what we're looking to do is basically, uh, Embassy has a strong presence in commercial real estate, where the group has multiple large-scale business parks uh, across the country. And uh, what we're looking to do is uh, our purpose-built co-living product. Uh, has an aim to uh, offer uh, hassle-free uh, living uh, and you know eliminate all the uh, problems that a migrant uh, millennial faces you know, when they venture out into their own uh, life and career journey. So our aim is to build first uh, large-scale facilities next to our uh, organized business parks where we basically position these 1,000 to 2,000 beds, large-scale facilities, uh, almost walking distance to these business parks. So one aim to eliminate the commute. And, you know, Bangalore being one of the most congested cities in the world, people do waste a lot of time in traffic. So that's one of the things. But also we want to provide a convenient, uh, hassle-free living, as well as a community offering. Uh, so, you know, the migrants, millennials, uh, after finishing school, uh, they go on a job hunt and, you know, uh, they usually don't have a chance to, you know, really pick where they want to work. So when they land up in another city, we are aiming to become their uh, family and home away from uh, home, uh, basically. So that's uh, on the co-living part. And on the student housing part, again, we are looking to partner up with reputable universities uh, where we are aiming to become their outsource uh, accommodation partner for all of their student housing needs. And we have a, a different product that's uh, catered towards them. So. This sounds great. So, uh, as you mentioned that, you know, you uh, belong to Istanbul, Turkey, and you moved back, uh, you know, moved to India sometime back. So, uh, how yeah. this transition, you know, took place? What was the thought that you had when you were moving from Istanbul to India? And, and what do you think that, you know, are the key challenges that you faced in this transition? Sure, sure. So, I mean, uh, India is the fourth country I'm living in. I was born in Istanbul, mm -hmm. but I spent about uh, five years in Scotland and another uh, four years in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so I, I, I'm born into a real estate family. I've been in real estate uh, since I've known myself. And uh, I 
did a lot of projects in Turkey and I developed and built over about a portfolio of about 20,000 beds uh, across various locations. And um, in 2017, I was looking to expand globally and you know, my focus was mostly UK and the US. And actually India wasn't uh, in the plans back then. But then um, one of our partners in one of the projects that I was doing in London, they said, uh, we have an investor from India that we'd like to introduce you to. So that was Embassy Group. That's how we met uh, through a project in UK. Then um, <clears throat> they came to Turkey. They saw what I was doing. Then I started coming back and forth uh, to India. And uh, once uh, seeing the potential over here, uh, I mean, India is the best place to be for the next 10 years, at least for this business, I can say that. And seeing the opportunity, then we start, you know, ideating what we, what we could do together. And then, you know, that's uh, how the foundation for Olive was laid. And then, uh, you know, I found myself here. I'm uh, really glad uh, that uh, it's been an amazing journey so far. Uh, you know, the uh, Indian uh, family values, the culture has actually a lot of similarities uh, between the Turkish family and the culture as well. And, you know, people are great. I love the food. I really like the spicy food as well. So, I mean, the transition uh, hasn't been that the food has uh, been uh, almost uh, coming into about two years now. But it's been great. So. Yeah, sounds great. So guys, here's a guy, you know, who was born in Turkey and uh, went through three other countries throughout his life and found himself in India. So, uh, Mr. Kahraman, we recently had Mr. Mohit on our podcast. He's yeah. also, you know, into the sector of real estate where he is building Columbia Pacific communities for the elderly people. And yeah. uh, this was the same thing that, you know, he was also mentioning that India right now for the at least the next 10 to 20 years is the best place to do real estate business. So, yes. What is your vision for, you know, real sector as a whole that how this is evolving right now? Um, so, I mean, you know, I think you know, the biggest driving factor is, uh, you know, when you look at the population demographics. So at the moment, India's median age is about 29. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the percentage of the millennials, mm -hmm. uh, which are between, let's say, you know, 20 and 35. Uh, is about 30 to 33% of the current population. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that number is growing. In the next five years, you know, that's expected to surpass about 40%. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, with that in mind, uh, you know, when you take into account 1.3 billion people, I mean, other than China, uh, India is the only place. So, and, you know, China is a whole different story. But, you know, when you look at the market is emerging, uh, the middle class is growing, uh, long-term financing instruments are coming into play mm -hmm. and you know with that uh, you know uh, it's going through a typical journey of uh, you know the emerging market so you know uh, with that comes a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. so you know the scalability I think is the biggest factor that India has and you know the young population uh, that's driving it and uh, another thing that I'd like to add to that is you know India is very tech savvy and you know we see uh, one of some of the high uh, really high tech products having you know really high penetration rates all the way uh, down to the bottom of the pyramid too so you know uh, young population emerging market growing middle class and you know when you add the uh, scalability of the country 
I mean, this is a perfect recipe. And um, so, you know, um, when I, uh, so, I mean, uh, as I was saying, you know, I was uh, families in real estate as well. We were doing a lot of residential real estate. And when I uh, decided to go out on my own, I looked at two sectors. And one was student housing and the other one was senior housing. So uh, I chose the way for student housing. I mean, you know, what Colombia Asia is doing is great as well. And definitely, again, it's a niche. Uh, asset class, uh, which we you know see as operational real estate, there's definitely good business there too. Mm -hmm. So I think you know uh, for both sectors, it's really exciting for the next 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. But what happens is you know we're at the uh, beginning of the spectrum, where we basically capture uh, the student at 18 years of age. We get them to graduate. Then from there, they move on to a new city. They become a co-living customer. They're with us hopefully for the five, ten years. Then, you know, the moment they decide to, you know, build a nest and, you know, start their own family, then they become a residential customer. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what happens is uh, they have kids, the kids grow up, then they go to school, and, you know, uh, that couple is usually back to square one. And then, you know, one of the spouses dies, you know, they're again alone. So again, then uh, that person becomes a senior living customer. So, you know, we are holding one end of the spectrum. I think, you know, uh, senior housing is holding the other end. Uh, but again, uh, because of, you know, the reasons that I just mentioned previously, I think in the next 10, 15 years, India uh, is providing the best opportunities uh, related to, you know, our business. So. Yeah, sounds great. So, Olive co-living along with Embassy Group, along with you know Columbia Pacific communities can really hold the Indian real estate citizens for a good period of time of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, also, you know, Karaman, I was really excited when you mentioned that you know you have been born into a family, uh, you know, who has been into the business of real estate. Because yeah. personally speaking, you know, uh, so when we started Lezex, I come from a family of lawyers. So for yeah. us to get into legal sector, it was a bit much easier to uh, get into this because, you know, we really understood the nuances that goes into this business. It's sure. easier to catch up, you know, when you are starting out, you, you already have some kind of, you know, uh, establishment over there that you understand the industry, even if you are not that connected to it. So how sure. do you think that uh, your journey was affected because you were, you know, born into this particular genre of real estate business family? Yeah. Yeah, so a uh, great point there. Uh, so the thing is, you know, uh, people ask, uh, you know, uh, kids, what do you want to be? And, you know, they say, I want to be a police, I want to be an astronaut, or I want to be a teacher or something like this. You know, we really didn't have a chance to ask that question because, you know, since we were little, that I remember, you know, we were always told and kind of groomed in that way that, you know, you're going to become related to all of so we weren't really given a choice. Okay. I mean, uh, depends where you look at it. It can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. But I think you know, uh, it looks like uh, I feel, at least I feel that you know I managed to capitalize on that. So as you said, you know, it gives you a really solid base that you have your family that you can always go back to and consult on any business that you're doing, mm -hmm. and you know you're building on the, the collective experience of the family. Uh, but uh, what happened is, you know, as I was saying, you know, we were in residential real estate and I wanted to do something myself and, you know, I wanted to create some value myself. 
So that's the moment I decide to choose student housing, even though it's a real estate investment, but it's a whole new ballgame because actually you're building buildings that are not really related to the real estate sector. You know, student housing has a tendency to behave parallel to what the education sector does. So it was a lot of uh, a steep learning curve uh, in the initial years, but obviously that family's experience in real estate was a huge plus. So, you know, uh, we started the game uh, three points ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, sounds amazing. So, Karim, uh, you know, you uh, also mentioned that Embassy Group, you were approached by someone that, you know, who introduced you to Embassy Group as, an, as a potential yeah. investor. So, how do you think that, you know, is Embassy Group a particular differentiating factor in the particular journey of living? Um, so, um, I mean, uh, when you look at Embassy being one of the largest developers and landlords in the country, mm-hmm. um, I mean, combined, uh, directly and indirectly, you have about half a million people working in uh, Embassy Group uh, business park. And, uh, you know, uh, that half a million people is a lot of people. And, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, the accommodation brand or the residential real estate vertical that we have only caters to a fraction of that half a million people. So, uh, I mean, I think, you know, as a group, uh, there was a lot of untapped potential. Still is. So I think, you know, all we are doing is connecting the line. So co-living uh, is a complementary business to our overall, uh, you know, traditional office space, which is the bread and butter of the group, where you know, driving uh, majority of our revenues. That it's a complementary asset class to what we're doing. So just like how we build a built an hotel inside one of our parks, uh, which access is amenity to the overall ecosystem and you know brings value to our tenants. Colony uh, will do the same in a different way. Basically, now providing accommodation uh, for the employees of our tenants. So we feel that you know this is a very complementary uh, addition into the embassy ecosystem, where we are able to uh, offer uh, accommodation services uh, to the employees of our tenants. Uh, before uh, all that we didn't have such an offering, so I think you know it will really enhance our uh, group offering as an overall. When you want to work, uh, you work out of an embassy office park. If that company needs flexible office space, we have WeWork uh, as our sister company. They can take up space there, you know, increase your footprint. And then you know, when executives or management wants to stay at. Uh, the parks, we have the Hilton, and then, you know, we have another Four Seasons. So now, when their employees want to stay, uh, hopefully, you know, they'll house them in our older living facilities. So overall, you know, uh, we're just unlocking the group's existing potential and, you know, bringing uh, an asset class into the future that will be complementary to our overall uh, portfolio. And, you know, from the group level, it gives us another uh, chance to diversify into a sub class uh, in the vast real estate sector. Yeah, so, sounds great. So, uh, Mr. Kehman, how do you, you know, place yourself in this particular segment? So, do you consider yourself as an entrepreneur or as an entrepreneur? 
Um, uh, so I would say, uh, a mix of both. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, but you know, uh, working um, uh, working with a large organization like uh, Embassy, you need to have an entrepreneur uh, approach as well. So uh, I would say a mix of both. And uh, obviously, the scale, the human resource at the group level, you know, we're stepping on the shoulders of a giant. So, you know, at any point, uh, any support you need from any kind of department, there's uh, a very experienced and established team of people who are willing to extend their support 110%. So, um, if I compare an entrepreneur's journey to an entrepreneur, uh, that, you know, obviously, the this kind of ecosystem, you have a lot more established tools to play by. So, entrepreneur's journey uh, looks like, you know, a lot more easier than compared to an independent entrepreneur who's trying to stand on a small thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that happens. And, you know, uh, here's an interesting uh, insight that, you know, you, you just gave that while we talk about startups and entrepreneurs in general, we do have very little to do begin with we we are you know like standing on the sea with waves coming at us and we just have to fight from the red tide and when it comes it is compared to entrepreneurs it's a lot more structured process where we do have access to a very good number of resources funds uh, experiences and connections in the industry so uh according to Aramant, when you know as a young person who is just trying to start out what should be you know one's criteria to move around things whether a path of entrepreneurship will be more preferred to suit, you know, one's personality if he's young, dynamic and wants to, you know, just go rapidly or the path of an entrepreneur. So, I mean, I think, uh, I think, you know, if people, uh, if a person follows really their heart mm -hmm. and, you know, does what they love, I mean, if you go after what you love, you're not really working. I mean, uh, you know, Coming to work for me is not like coming to work. I don't. I never have a Monday syndrome. <laughs> Most times I'm like, you know, uh, too impatient or we can't to finish, I can get back in the office. So, you know, I think if you do what you love, if you have this mindset, no matter what kind of situation you're in, whether you're an entrepreneur, uh, an employee or an entrepreneur, you know, uh, your journey will be a lot easier. It won't feel like, you know, you're really pushing. And uh, so I think, you know, that's the biggest thing, you know, really deciding uh, what uh, you love uh, and, you know, going after that. And, you know, it's not an easy journey. I mean, you know, if you look at, there are some numbers out there, it takes one person at least you know, 10,000 hours uh, dedicated to become a specialist in any given area. It's a big commitment, but, uh, you know, if you stick with, uh, you know, your uh, initial ambitions, what uh, got you on that road, and you stick with it, uh, I think, you know, it's very rewarding. Uh, you know, it's not an easy journey, but, you know, down the road, uh, you just need to give it enough time uh, to mature. Obviously, being at the right time, right place, with the right resources, these are, you know, the key uh, formulas for success. But I think at the end of the day, it all goes back to that person, and you know what they want out of life. Obviously, someone who's more, uh, who has a higher risk appetite, 
can go on the entrepreneurship journey or someone who's less who's looking for a more secure kind of space they can go the other route but regardless in both cases if you do what you love i think you know you'll be successful at it no matter which path you choose to go get there so i think you know, that would be my biggest um, you know advice and, and that's a beautiful advice gentlemen. so uh, when we talk about your journey in particular there you know are always times when you think that you know what you are doing is not on the right track or you know what you have done previously wasn't done in a way it could have been done so uh, there are always lessons failures things you know which do not uh, really go well and there's always you know we find that uh, there might be a reason or two behind that so would you like to share you know any of the particular uh, you know kind of that phase in your journey sure i mean uh, you know uh, when I was saying that you know I was looking to uh, go global and you know go to other countries and do business abroad while I was in Turkey, um, the biggest driving factor behind that was economic instability in the country that I was in. So, volatile uh, currency, you know, uh, really fluctuating interest rates, you know, uh, and geopolitically, uh, it's Turkey is in a difficult position. Uh, you have talk difficult neighbors and um, with that in mind uh, you know i think that was one of the instances where i said to myself you know okay uh, i'm in the business of you know what i'm doing in real estate student housing i love what i do and i'm really successful at it and you know over there my projects all were operating about 95 percent of it's really successful but the thing is uh, scalability was missing and uh, economic stability in the macroeconomic perspective was missing. So, uh, and you know, uh, student housing or co-living, these are operational real estate businesses. You need consistency in these kind of things. So that was one time that I uh, said, okay, you know, I got the right tools, I got the right mindset, I'm experienced enough, but the only thing that looks good is the geography. So uh, that was one thing that I wanted to change. And, you know, I start taking steps toward that. And, you know, the idea was uh, UK or US. But, you know, it, uh, the story unfolded. And, you know, uh, now I'm in here in India. But it was, I think, you know, that was one example. I, I think, you know, it pushed me to make a decision. And uh, I think more for the better. So, you know, when uh, a person comes to a crossroad to make a decision like that, you have some confidence in yourself and you know take the lead because usually the gut feeling is uh, telling you the right thing mm-hmm. yeah that that sounds good so uh you know karaman as you mentioned about uh, the geopolitical issues that turkey was facing we in business you know always find that there are some macro issues which uh, we really cannot deal with you know at, at the micro scale sure the geopolitical crisis or the you know recently covid pandemic that all the businesses are facing so how do you think that you know as, as a business person one should go about you know pivoting their business or pivoting their structure on these things sure so i mean look uh, sometimes you know uh, there is a great saying i can't remember who quoted it but uh, it was saying that sometimes in a decade nothing happens and sometimes in one week a decade happens so you know, I think, you know, this year was like that, uh, you know, in one year, I think decades happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, 
some businesses uh, lost sense. Uh, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, education got disrupted, it's still getting disrupted, and, you know, our lives got disrupted, uh, you know, many things got disrupted. Now we are doing, uh, you know, a conference call with you. This became normal, right? This wasn't normal before. So I think, you know, with that, as long as the fundamentals of your business is right, uh, you should stick to it. But uh, if there is a fundamental change in the underlying, uh, things that hold up your business. If something uh, has changed and you know it doesn't stack up, then you know it might be time to uh, do a dramatic strategy change or even change course. So I think you know uh, the pandemic has shown that, that you know at a book, uh, things got accelerated. It catapulted some services up in the sky. If you look at online food delivery, has gone crazy. You know, uh, cloud kitchens is doing really well. Uh, you know, uh, video conferencing or any uh, thing online, especially, you know, retail has been made mostly pushed into online as well. So, you know, with that, obviously, that's uh, uh, bad news for some So, as long as the fundamentals, right, for example, you know, co-living uh, did take a major hit, but uh, we see that that's only for the short term. We still see that, you know, fundamentals of our businesses still there. Uh, it's not a straight road, it's a bumpy road, but you know the trajectory is right. So you know we're sticking to our guns. Uh, we keep doing what we're doing. So uh, at the end of the day I think you know from our perspective that you know we're in the right path. But uh, depending on which business a person is in, I think questioning uh, or looking at the new day and looking at the fundamentals, if it still stacks up, you know that's, uh, you keep going after that. But if it doesn't, then you need to revise the strategy. So that's the way I see it. Yeah, so Karaman, you know, we, we both are singing the same song over this because even to uh, a lot of clients, you know, who were facing a lot of issues during this pandemic, this was the, you know, only thing that we had, that it's always good to change course, but keep sailing, you know, is the only way ahead. Exactly. So, so that was, you know, one thing that I, I really, you know, told almost all of the clients that we were serving at, at that point of time when COVID pandemic happened and everyone was kind of nervous as on, you know, what is going to happen in the future. Yeah. So I think we, we both are singing the same song over there. Yeah. So, you know, as you say that the fundamentals are right, businesses are changing. So, uh, Karaman, what is your reason for co-living and Olive, you know, in particular? What is my? I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. What is your vision for co-living and your, uh, you know, venture in particular? Sure, sure. So I mean, as Olive, uh, you know, uh, as I was saying, we want to become the home away from home, the family of the migrant single individual, whether they're a student or a young professional. Uh, we want to give them, uh, you know, a, a decent place to live uh, with a great community offering and really enhance their lives. So, you know, whether it's student housing or co-living, one aim that I have is if we can take one line in their resume saying that, you know, Olive has given me the skills, you know, I've uh, met my best friends there, or, you know, I met, I've got, uh, I met my next boss, I've got uh, the next promotion because of all of the infrastructure that they provided me. I think, you know, that's the, intangible thing that we want to achieve and mm -hmm. uh, really enhancing people's lives and uh, you know uh, i also think that you know, co-living 
even though it's a new term, it's based on sharing economy. And sharing economy is not uh, something that people do because they want to do it. It's uh, born out of a necessity. You know, when one person can't afford to buy or rent one item by themselves, what happens is they partner up with someone and they go for it. So, you know, two people teaming up and renting an apartment and sharing the same idea behind it. But the thing is, you know, the residential product that we are all used to, you know, the one, two, three BHK floor plan, that was designed for families. And, you know, we never saw uh, a real revolution on that product itself over the years. The only thing that we see is identification units got smaller. Even the one BHK, when you say seven, eight hundred square feet, is a lot of space. And then, you know, a migrant individual who's coming into a new city by themselves actually doesn't need all that space. So, you know, our idea is co-living is the new age residential product that's designed uh, with the needs of that single individual in mind that caters to them, and it's just enough. It's nothing more, nothing less than they need. So it's very efficient and optimum. So I think, you know, this is really going to change the residential realistic sector. And, you know, co-living will uh, become a complementary sub-asset class to the vast residential sector. And uh, as Olive, you know, we would like to be one of the main drivers uh, and leaders of this change. So I think, you know, to sum it up, that's what's wrong. Yeah, sounds good. That's, you know, an amazing vision to have. And this is, you know, equivalent to putting some feelings in the bricks that are already there. Yeah. Because people who go to other cities, they do not have a home to, you know, call themselves that, okay, I am home. Yeah. And if living, you know, uh, can bring that change, I think emotionally, mentally, and, you know, later on also financially for everyone. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Kahneman, you know, I think it has been, you know, a good time where, where we spoke about a lot of issues that you shared with our audience. So, is there any parting advice? So, most of the audience, Mr. Kahneman, that we have are either the aspirational entrepreneurs or the young people who are in their colleges who are looking to start out or begin their professional journeys. Yeah. So, uh, is there any parting advice that you would like to give to them? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, uh, one is they should definitely try new things. I mean, uh, you know, stepping out of the comfort zone and, you know, uh, trying out new things uh, will give you the opportunity to, to, you know, push limits. So I think, you know, one advice would be to think outside of the box and, you know, try and you know, become the driver of change. I think, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people hold on to status quo, but, uh, you know, it's only the uh, few who dare to uh, take that leap and, you know, when they're successful, uh, they end up changing a lot of things. So I think, you know, uh, having uh, that belief uh, that one can be the catalyst for big things and big changes, that you know, going after what they think is right and trying out new things without the fear of failure. Failure is part of uh, any entrepreneur's journey. And, uh, you know, I always look to uh, other entrepreneurs as well. And one phrase I like is, you know, fail fast and fail cheap. So, you know, when you do that, uh, you can learn from uh, that and, you know, you can build on that experience. 
So I think, you know, trying out uh, by themselves and, you know, if it's not being done before, it doesn't mean that it can't be done. It means that uh, not enough people didn't uh, try it, I think. So, uh, you know, uh, that would be the one thing that I'd like to, you know, give the audience. And, and that was amazing, Karaman. So, guys, step up from the comfort zone, build cheap, pay often, and then, you know, try it all again. Yeah. And also, Mr. Karaman said that if something is not done yet, doesn't mean that it can't be done. Yeah. It's just that it's not being done yet. Yeah. So, go out there, try things. And this was an amazing uh, conversation with you, Mr. Karaman. Thank you. Thanks a lot for uh, getting on this show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. And hopefully, I'll see you in the near future. Yeah, definitely. Thank you.